All right, thank you for that, and thank you again for being here. I forgot to announce, we have an engagement. Chris and Evelyn back there got engaged last night. Give them a hand. All right, congratulations to them. Thank you again for being here, and, um, and I, I appreciate you coming to the service. We're going to be in Deuteronomy this morning, and we're going to share of thought. All of us have heard, um, if we've followed the news at all, we hear stories of people that are living double lives, right? Heard a story of a man in Florida, Timothy Parker, and he, uh, he had a job in Florida, but he would have to go away every other week to, I believe it was Illinois or something. His job required him to go away there for a week, and he did that for years, and come to find out that he had a wife in Florida, and he had a wife in Illinois. Now, that's because he wasn't a Christian, because, you know, the Bible, you can't serve two masters, right? So, um, <laughs> I wonder how that worked out for him when he got, when he got caught. Uh, given a sports analogy, we all probably have heard of Lance Armstrong. He overcame cancer, and he would compete in the Tour de France. I think he won like seven times in a row. And in that competition, there's a lot of doping. In other words, they use uh, different types of drugs, and, and I don't quite understand it, to enhance their performance, and through this whole time, he swore that he never did that. You know what it means when someone swears they've never done anything? You know what that means? They did it, okay? And he finally got busted, and he was cheating. Um, and so, so people are, are like that. It's easy for us to get like that too, right? We trick ourselves into thinking that we can take the different areas of our life and uh, put them in different compartments and that they're separate from one another and that what I do in one has no effect on what I'm doing in the others. When in reality, all the areas of our life kind of blend together. Now we're going to look at that from the concept of our Christianity this morning in the few minutes that we have. I preached out of Deuteronomy recently so uh, we understand what the book of De Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy literally means second law or second teaching of the law. It's, it's, repeat, it's repeating the truth that God had repeated to his people when he told them that he wanted them to go into the promised land. And so that first group didn't listen. They didn't go in so they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness and they all died off the new group's going to go in 40 years later, and so God's repeating all the same truth. He's telling them all the stories. He's telling them everything that went on. In essence, he is preparing them for this time when they will finally listen to him and go into the, the promised land. Of course, as you can imagine, the key concept that he wants them to get if they're going to go into the promised land and be uh, successful, victorious, is obedience. That's everywhere in the book. And it's in this little section that uh, we're going to look at. God is repeating to them some important truths that he wants them to remember related to obedience as they are getting ready and to go into the promised land. Look at Deuteronomy excuse me, 11 and verse 1. He tells them what they are to do. He says, Therefore, thou shalt love the Lord thy God, and keep his charge and his statutes and his judgments and his commandments always. Of course, that's the key thing they would have to understand, that obedience. Obedience is important and obedience is tied in to their success in getting in the land, being victorious in the land, and maintaining their life in the land. 
When we think about receiving God's blessings, we need to understand what activates God's blessings in our life. It's obedience. Okay? It's not like these guys, these false teachers on television that tell you it's faith by you sending money to them. And that activates God's blessings. No, God's blessings are activated when we live in complete obedience to him. Then he says in verse 7, he tells them what they have to remember. He says in verse 7, but your eyes have seen all the great acts which the Lord did. Therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong, go in and possess the land whither you go to possess. So God's trying to get them to remember. There was a small group, those under 18, that they could remember some of those miracles. There was a big group that was born. And they weren't there. But there was a good group that was there. And they were kind of the older group. And they're going to be the leaders. And they're going to be bringing the people in. He goes, hey, remember what you saw. Remember what I did. Of course, the principle there for many of us is once we start to forget what God has done in our lives, we start to move on from God in our lives. And we, we, it's so easy for us to be so, uh, 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 not critical is not the word, but we, 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 we look at what's going on around us and we want more and we forget, hey, God's been pretty good to us. We heard that on Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. Verse 10, he tells them what they could receive. For the land, whither thou goest to possess it, is not as the land of Egypt, from which ye came out. Uh, where, you, where thou sowest thy seed and waterest with thy foot as a garden of herbs. But the land... Whither you go to possess, it's a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. Isn't that amazing? The eyes of the Lord thy God are, are always upon it, from the beginning of the year even unto the good of the year. God said, look, the land you're going to, it's a great place. It's got great crops. It's got everything about it is good. And just so you know, my eyes are always upon it. I'm always there, and I'm, I'm going to take care of it for you. Everything that God does is good. Okay? We need to understand that. And God, God's, the goodness God wants to give us, we just don't understand how much he wants us to have it. And we're missing out on it sometimes. God is good. Never forget that. Verse 16, he tells them that they have to choose. Take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Everything is a choice in the Christian life. And God's trying to help them remember, hey, you need to choose. The reason their, their uh, fathers and their grandfathers didn't make it into the land, you know why? They didn't choose to go in. They choose to listen to some people that were negative, and they chose to stay, and they missed out. Amen. Amazes me how many Christians are content with missing out. Amen. I don't want to miss out on what God has. I, want every, I just want every single bit of it. What is the point? If you'll notice in the scripture, particularly as God is talking to them, and really you see it throughout the Bible, there are two aspects of our life, okay? For them, what God was telling them to do, what they needed to do to strengthen and maintain their relationship with them, God's talking about their spiritual life. God had a relationship in mind to have with them. God had a certain way of living for the Lord that he wanted for them. We know that too, and we say, well, that's the spiritual part of our life. But what about the other part? The results that will occur based on how we, we act in life, how we live. That's our practical living. See, we have this spiritual life. 
this life where we come to church and we have our Bibles and we have that, there's also this practical aspect of life, how you live tomorrow. You're at church this morning, you won't be at church tomorrow, you're probably going to be at work. They're not going to be singing Christian songs at work. They probably won't have an offering at work. Okay, and so it's a different, but you're still going to live in this world when you come home and all these different things. And that's how you live on an everyday basis. We all have those two lives. But here's the thing. The spiritual and the practical are interconnected. The fact of the matter is those two are one. See, we don't have secular and sacred parts of our lives that are separated from the rest of our lives. That's not like that. When you're a Christian, you're a Christian 24-7. I look around here, we have all kinds of different ethnic groups. Your ethnic makeup is who you are 24 hours a day. You can't change it. Just like you can't change your gender. First of all, our spiritual life determines our practical living. Right? Look, it just makes sense that if we are being with God, it is going to change the way we live our everyday life. We cannot walk with God without it making a difference in who we are. When, two, when those two things are in harmony, this is what I want you to get. There's a lot of stuff I'll say, but you need to understand. When the two are in harmony, life is just so much better. Without them, it's hard. I understand that. Life, there's a lot of stuff we have to deal with. I understand that. You're married. I don't mean deal with, but... You know your marriage will go better the closer you are to God? It just, that's just how it works. Look, two people living together? Say, Pastor, is your, is your marriage heaven on earth? It is. But sometimes it seems a little south. Just kidding. It's, we're, we're normal. And listen, anybody would have problems in that relationship if they're not with God. When you're with God, things are just so much better. Think about all the relationships in your life. Things are better. Think about your career. Think about how you handle your emotions. And everything that's going on around us, man, it, it can be pretty easy to get into turmoil. But with the Lord, things are just so much better. The routines of your life. We all have things we got to take care of, and I get it. And it can be mundane, and it can be tedious, and it can just be overwhelming sometimes. But you know, when our spiritual life is lined up, it's better. What purpose in your life do you have? I'm just trying to get through the week and get to the job and get the paycheck and pay the bills and maybe have a few minutes to myself, and the next week we just start over and we start over. That's why everybody hates Mondays, right? You know why Monday Night Football originally was put on and it was so successful they wanted something on Monday night because that was the worst night of the week for people the big, how many I mean that's that was the principle behind it let's give them something to do watch football now the way my team plays that's not encouraging it's actually discouraging <laughs> and I know if you're a Raider fan you're with me but but purpose in life it's because we but when your purpose is wrapped up in God everything else is just a part of it how does that help determine the practical? Let me just share a few thoughts. It, it, it empowers our practical living. Look at verse 8. He says, therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command thee this day. Why? That ye may be strong. Do you understand that? 
He didn't say, hey, pony up, cowboy. You got, some, you got some fights coming. You better get out there and practice and be in physical shape and get the army together. And I'm sure that's important. He said, if you're going to be strong, it's related to your obedience to me. Okay? And they were, not, they, were, they were fighting some physical battles, but God equated it. We understand Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, he tells Joshua, Be strong, courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. And then he tells him in verse 8, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Why? In verse 7 he says, That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And in verse 8 he says, For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. And then in verse 9 he says, be strong. He tied their strength and he tied their power to their spiritual life. Think about that. If they won that battle, it's not because they were the best form soldiers, although they should be. It wasn't because they had the best weapons or they were the strongest physically. It was because they walked with God. It's because they knew God's law and they were committed to obeying it. And God said, if you're going to do that, I'll make sure you win those battles. That gives us power. Could it be the reason that we struggle to have the strength to follow God is because we have no spirituality whatsoever? Two are interconnected. Not only, by the way, the new, uh, I love the verse in Isaiah. He says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of the eagle. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How do you get that strength to go on? Wait upon God. That's where it comes from. Secondly, it promotes it. Look at verse 9. He goes, and that you may prolong your days in the land. He goes, I don't want you just to go in. I want you to be there ever. Which the Lord thy God swear unto his fathers to give unto you and to your seed a land that floweth with milk and honey. Verse 10, I love this. For the land whither thou goest to possess it is not as the land of Egypt. You see what God's telling them? He says, listen, Egypt was a rotten place. It was bad for them. They were slaves. They had no future. They had nothing. They ate the scraps. They were overworked. They had no freedoms whatsoever. And God says, hey, where you're going in the new land? It's nothing like that. See, God's preparing them to enter their new home, the promised land, by reminding them of their old home, Egypt. Some of them may have started to get confused and say, hey, Egypt was a good place. No, it wasn't. Even those that originally came out, when things got hard, said, boy, when we were in Egypt, we ate good food. They made it sound like it was a great all-you-can-eat buffet. It was nothing but misery. That's what it, they said earlier, but they got confused. God wanted them to remember that one was a burden, Egypt, the other was a blessing. One did nothing but cause loss, but when they get to the holy ground, they're going to have a win. Slavery. No, now you have freedom. You know they had taskmasters in Egypt? You know what they're going to have now? A loving master. They had to toil for others, and now they could uh, work and have fruit in their own lives. All because God's in the equation. But you know what's wrong with us before I move on? Sometimes we switch it. We start to look back at how it was before we were a Christian, like, hey, I'm missing out. That was the days of freedom. Freedom for what? Come on. If you lived in that world, it was no good. I lived in that world when I was younger, and I was looking to the future, and when I got right with God, I said, now I have a future. That was, there, there was nothing good about that lifestyle. Oh, the excitement, the nonsense, but you know what? It didn't lead to anything. 
There's nothing good about it. By the way, those of you that have not, that maybe you've been raised in church and you see people, well, they don't go to church and look at their Instagram posts. No one posts bad things on their Instagram. Hey, this was the best meal ever. Well, what about the one you ate yesterday? Right? Look, I told you, we go on vacation. Oh, we all take a picture. We're on the coast of Oregon. We don't take pictures in the car ride because those aren't going very well. <laughs> hey, be quiet. Sit up. Quit fighting with each other. Okay? You know, when we take a, you, you see our, I'll just tell you, Christmas picture. Oh, what a wonderful family. You're all smiling. Like one second before he clicks. I'm smiling. I'm like, hey, look up there, Jason. Hey, good, pay attention. You got 30 people, man. One person looks sideways. Got to do it all over again. I'm like threatening them within an inch of my life. Okay, ready? Smile. <laughs> Moving on. My wife's laughing. She knows it's the absolute truth. We walk away from that Christmas picture. We don't talk to each other for a week. Okay. But we remember the, we remember the good things. Most of it, almost all of it was bad. And the only part you thought was good was bad. So it's easy. And then he prospers it. Look at verse 13. He says, and it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently under my commandments, which I command you to love the Lord thy God, serve him with all your heart, that I will give you the reign of the land. Verse 13, and I will send. Listen, how, every, how everything went in that land, I mean, from their crops. Do you understand that? No, no, I got all these, I got all these John Deere equipment. You know, everything's going to be good. I got the top, in, you know, irrigation system. God said, no, 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 no. If you don't serve me, you ain't got no irrigation system. Everything was related to God. I wish we understood that in our life. If we do not connect everything that's going on in our life to God, it's not going to go well. Psalm chapter 1 says the same thing. It says that if, if, if we are delight in the law of the Lord, he'll prosper us in anything. We think, well, I'll be rich. No, he'll prosper you in all areas of your life. Quit thinking of prosperity as money. It's not always money. God said, you'll be prosperous in anything you do. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that like, okay, so I want to be a, a crook. God's going to prosper, prosper me in that? No, because it's connected to the word of God, and if you're in the word of God, you don't want to be a crook. I didn't go over very well. We'll move on quickly, okay? Maybe you want to be one. I don't. I'm just talking about the, the things of life. He'll prosper you in everything you do. Why? Because everything you're doing is connected to God. So the spiritual life determines practical living, but on, these, on this other side of the coin, I'll say quickly, our practical living determines our spiritual life. They are so connected that any weakness in one affects the other. You know that? So once we start to live a little reckless in our life, it is going to hurt our spiritual life. Now this goes against modern Christianity, I'm sorry. We want to think that how we live has nothing to do with my spiritual life, and that is a fallacy. It's going to ruin your spiritual life. And let me say this, parents, if you allow that into your life, you're ruining your young ones. Because whatever degree you take it to, they're going to take it 27 more degrees. You're setting the stage. Pastor used to call it uh, being inoculated, right? When, you know, the way um, vaccines used to work or, or any of those things, you get a little bit of the real thing so your body learns how to overcome it. 
right? It's like, okay, this isn't a big deal now. That's what we do in Christianity when we're like that. We're feeding our kids just a little bit. And it's like, okay, it's just a little bit. I don't have to have the whole, I don't have to have all of it. And then they walk out there and they don't have any of it. See, it's got to be very, very careful. But in our own life, how does our practical living determine our spiritual life? Look at verse 16. He says it can detour it. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside. One of the greatest hindrances, as I mentioned earlier, would be the pagan, uh, pagans around them, that worshipers around them. He did not want them to turn aside, to be detoured in their relationship with him. That's exactly what would happen. They would start looking at the other gods of the land. By the way, the whole foundation of their civilization, the whole foundation of actually who they are as a people was founded in God. God founded them in the first place. Everything about them was tied into God. And if they got away from that, it would kill them. It's, and so what would happen if you read through the history, it's as if when they started in their regular life to go sideways, they had to find a false deity to attach to it to make okay what they were doing. You see that all over. And it starts in our heart. Why did so By the way, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, but that doesn't mean he was perfect. Do you know he turned from God? The end of his life was horrible. It's part of the reason God split the nation. He had all these wives, that was strike one, and, and they turned his heart away from God to idols. Look at all the kings. They would get in their pride, and so they would turn to false gods and turn away from God and start living a whole new way. That is why God very clearly tells us to guard our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence. That means guard. For out of it are the issues of life. The issues of life means boundaries, how far we go. So if we don't guard our heart, what happens, we let stuff in there and the boundaries start to expand. By the way, we all need boundaries. And our boundaries are the principles of God's word. Right? I mean, it's like you put up a fence. The farther that fence goes, the more, the more you're letting in. And so we start changing those boundaries and we let others in. Things that God doesn't want. And it starts to destroy us. It, deter, it, de, it detours us, first of all, through our heart. Then it destroys us. Look what he says in verse 17. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. I don't know about you. I don't want that. And he shut up heaven that there be no rain. And that the land yield not her fruit unless you perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. He said, man, you're going to be in there, things are going well, but if you get away from me, it's going to stop. The land will no longer be fruitful. The relationships will no longer be right. The vic Look, every time, read it, every time they lost a war from, from, from King Solomon and Rehoboam all the way through to King Zedekiah, the last one in Judah, every time they lost a battle, it's, it wasn't because they weren't the best fighters, although they didn't have to be, it's because they forsook God. And God said, I'm out on this one. You're on your own. And you are not going to win. By the way, you'll look at some of the battles when some of the good kings came in after a bad king and they were vastly outnumbered and they, had, they didn't have the weaponry to beat them and God said, hang tight, I got this. Because the king was trying to do the right thing. It'll destroy you. There's only one person, and I've said this over and over, that determines your level of spirituality and your closeness to your, your, the closest to your relationship to God and it's you. 
Only you can do that. You can either have it be prosperous by spending time with God or you can destroy it. Don't blame others, please. Don't blame churches. Don't blame circumstances. It's our choices. I always say this. You can look, if there's a scale of how close you are to God, one to a hundred, whenever you fall on that scale, you're on that, you're there because that's where you've chosen to be. Then lastly, it just deadens it. Look at verse 26. He goes, behold, I set before you a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if you obey not the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day. To go after other gods that you have not known. You know what happened when they got in the land? We all know. Over the years, some of them faster than others, they chose the curses. They chose the curses. I don't know about you. I don't want the curse. I want the blessing. We... Sometimes we become so deadened to what's going on, we're choosing something that's not best. And we're okay with that. Why would anybody choose second best? My thing is, I want to choose the best of spirituality so that I have a better chance of living a better life. That's The two go together. That is the whole point. God wants a spiritual and a practical life in your life that are in tune one with another. And let me just say that if they're not, if someone says I'm spiritual and their life doesn't back it up, they're not spiritual. It's just words. I don't want just words. I don't want a bumper sticker on my car that says I love Jesus and the rest of my life says I don't. And I'm not... You know, I don't want a Bible cover that says Jesus is Lord and the rest of my life says he's not. They go together. By the way, and everybody here, we're on a different spiritual scale. I get it. But here's the deal. Just keep being spiritual. Just keep following God. And being spiritual doesn't mean I just come to church, although that's a big part of it. You come to church and you take the next step to say, God, what are you saying in your word? What are you trying to get my attention? What do you want me to do? And I do that, then my practical life is better, and then the blessings are there. If they're not there, it's because it's not because God doesn't want to bless you. It's because we're not allowing God to bless us. That's what he wants. At the end of the chapter, he tells us, verse 31, For ye shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord thy God giveth you, and ye shall possess it and dwell therein. That was the work. That was the practical aspect. And verse 32 tells us how that happens. And ye shall observe to do all the statutes and judgments what I set before you this day. They go together like a hand in a glove. Now let me ask you this, and I'm not talking about perfection. I think you know that because none of us are going to get there. Can you say the direction of your life and the direction of your spirituality are one? They should be. And by the way, it's a process, right? We're all, are we trending? You say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm trending there. There's just some things. That, hey, just keep going the right direction. You'll get there. It'll be okay. But the two have to be one. We cannot separate them. No Christian can say, well, yeah, that's my secular life, and that's my, you know. Well, we, sometimes we say, and I'm done. We'll say, like, oh, you know, uh, uh, you have a college or a school, and I'm in full-time Christian service. All of us should be in full-time Christian service. We ought to just be serving God all the time. That doesn't mean you're at the church all the time. We don't have room for you. It means that my whole life is about loving God and just doing what he says. I don't have to be on a church staff to do that. This is what God wants. 
And that affects every part of our life. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute. Thank you for listening. I know we're a little bit later. Thank you for paying attention. How's your life today? How's your spirituality? The two are interconnected. You say, Pastor, I'm trying, I'm trying to be spiritual. I really, really am. But, but I'm struggling with it. Well, let me ask you this. How's, how's your practical life? Are there some issues there that you're not working on? It's one thing to work on things in your life. It's another thing to allow them. Right? The two are connected. When I decided I was going to serve God and live for Him, I started going to church, and pretty soon, within a week or two, I was like, i got to make some changes in my life, and I did. I did the purge. I didn't want to just be reading my Bible, which I was. I didn't want to just be going to church, which I was. I didn't want to just spend time with God, which I was. There's some things I had to do, and it really, really helped me in this spiritual area. The spiritual area helped me in that area. Say, Pastor, I'm I'm struggling in my practical life. I, I, I want to do light. Well, how's your spiritual life? They both go together. They both go together. Now, let me say this before we open the invitation. You can't live a Christian life if you're not a Christian. You can't be, a, you can't be spiritual unless you're a Christian. That's first step. Becoming one of God's children. Being born into his family. How does that happen? Let me ask you this question. If you were to die today, are you 100% for sure that you would go to heaven or do you have any doubt? If you're here this morning, you would say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure that if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven, but that's something I'd like to know for sure. Would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Nobody looking around? Raise your hand up real quick. I'll pray for you and then we'll move. Yes, I see right here. Pray for you. Yes. Right here. Yes, sir. Right here. Let's stand together. Altar's open. If God spoke to you about anything, why don't you come? Let's experience the full blessing of God.